I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu. And on this edition, we're going to be discussing Arsenal's pretty much perfect start to the Premier League season. A 2-0 victory at Selhurst Park, a game in which many tipped us to struggle. Ultimately, it's why Sky picked the game, let's be honest. They thought that there was a shock on the cards. They thought that Crystal Palace would get the better of us. They thought they'd have a big story, just like they did last season when Arsenal were beaten at Brentford. But thankfully, that wasn't to be the case. And you know what? I was just... um, Just before we we went live, I was watching back um, some of the kind of post-match Sky coverage because obviously... Uh, when you're at the game, you miss all of that, right? You you get clips of it on social media and, and you get all of that stuff, but you don't get the full show. You don't get the full episode. And I really was curious to hear what Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville had to say. Now, for those of you that might have seen on my social media on Wednesday, was it Wednesday? Thursday? I think it was Thursday. Um, I spent the day down uh, at Sky with uh, Scott Saunders, my colleague from 90 Min. You'll recognise him, of course, from the 90 Min channel. And we managed to sit down and interview the Sky Pundits ahead of the new season. There's some fantastic content uh, coming out in the next few days. Hopefully, we'll be able to share that with you guys. Where we spoke to all of the pundits, and and I asked Gary Neville a question in um, in the sort of open uh, sort of open Q&A bit. So there was different people from the media. There was the Sky Pundit sitting on the panel. And I basically said to Gary Neville, he had previously said, um, I think that Arsenal going into this season are in much better shape than Manchester United. And I said to Gary, Gary, 12 months ago, almost to the day, you said that you couldn't see the plan at Arsenal. You said that there was no clear direction. 12 months down the line, you're sitting here and you're saying that Arsenal are in better shape than Manchester United. Would you accept that that is because A, Arsenal have a plan and B, Manchester United have pretty much been making it up as they go along? And uh, he danced around it. He said, oh, you know, sometimes you say things out of context on TV, etc., etc." So when I saw he was on the game last night, I was really kind of keen to hear what he had to say. And, uh, and it was so nice because he, Jamie Carragher, the Sky team, couldn't help but praise Arsenal. They, they had no choice but to praise Arsenal, and I loved it. I just thought I'd get that in uh, nice and early. They were so complimentary of us. That's what you want to see. Um, look, let's um, let's talk about last night specifically because it was a great night. Um, you know, it, it was a great night. Got down to Selhurst Park a little bit later than I would have liked. The trains were a little bit unreliable yesterday, um, only managed to get a couple of drinks in before the game. I would have liked to have had a, a few more. I think the start of the season is always a bit of a celebration, isn't it? But you're trying to kind of enjoy the buzz of the new season. You're trying to kind of get into the swing of things, but always in the back of your mind, there's what if we don't win tonight? What if we start off in a negative fashion? And I think ultimately um, what we saw last season was kind of, it kind of left a scar for me. I don't know about you. Um, You know, it it left a scar for me in that we didn't start the season well. We then had two very, very difficult fixtures to come after that, which made it even worse, which you knew 
even at the point of kickoff against Brentford, that we probably weren't going to win. And before you knew it, we'd gone three games without a goal, without a point. And the narrative around the club was a really negative one. And as we've seen in the Amazon doc uh, so far, um, you know, there was a lot of work to do to kind of turn that ship back around. And thankfully, Arsenal managed it and ended up having uh, a decent campaign. But this season, you feel like because of the victory last night, because of the fact that we've got, and listen, no fixture in the Premier League is easy. I'm not saying that for a second. But what I would say is that we've got winnable fixtures coming up. And if Arsenal can build some momentum, if Arsenal can build up some points, get them on the board, and then you go to Old Trafford uh, at the beginning of September with very little pressure on you really to go and win the game. Of course, you don't want to get beat. Of course, you want to go there and you want to get at least a point. But the pressure would all be on Manchester United being the home side. And if Arsenal did drop some points five, six games into the season, having had a perfect record up until that point, you know, you can you can manage it. You can deal with it. You can cope with it. So we got to Selhurst Park yesterday. And obviously, for those of you that haven't visited Selhurst Park, it is a really old school football ground. The stands are pretty much on top of the pitch. The atmosphere is very, very good very intimidating. Crystal Palace in their nature as a side are quite physical as well and quite intimidating, quite aggressive. That's something that Patrick Vieira talked about at length before the game. And um, and so you do go there and you, you get in there and you think, well, this is going to be a tough night. But I thought Arsenal really set the tone early on and almost killed off that Crystal Palace atmosphere that we know is always there. I think, you know, often we talk about atmospheres at grounds and we talk about the best fans and the best fans are the ones that are singing and are chanting and are getting behind the team, even in their difficult moments. But as a fan, when you're watching your team get dominated, you can't help but reduce that a little bit. You can't help but step back from that just a little bit because you're concerned by what you're seeing. I mean, I don't know about you guys, when I'm concerned about something, I'm not at my most talkative. I'm not at my most buoyant. So, you can understand it. And I thought Arsenal's start did exactly that. It really curbed the Selhurst Park atmosphere. Um, and 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 that's after they did a, a TIFO display uh, in the Holmesdale end and everything like that. So they were really pumped up for this. So were the Arsenal fans, though. And our away support, I've spoken about it before, is, is really, really incredible. Like, you know, people come to Emirates sometimes and they go, oh, you know, it's a library. And these modern stadiums, they they just don't have the same feeling. They just don't give you the same vibe. They just don't give you uh, the, the same kind of uh, atmosphere. But ultimately, well, first of all, I think the Emirates has got a lot better in that sense. And I think that's because the fans have been a lot more engaged and a lot more um, on board over the past 12 months or so. But away from home, wow. I mean, I was lucky enough to go to quite a few away games last season. And obviously, I went to this one um, last night and the atmosphere was incredible. The Arsenal fans were in full voice. And from what people tell me, uh, Matt Tomo highlights it in the chat. The away support was unreal, could only hear us on the US broadcast. Mate, it, it, it's it's true. There was some, there were, there were the usual chants. There was a, the Zinchenko chant as well. Um, which was uh, superb. I'm sure you've seen videos and clips of it going around on social media. In fact, I retweeted one last night. That was going for a while. Um, but yeah, look, it was it was really positive and, and you could feel it um, 
in the Arsenal end, you could feel that people were kind of really optimistic by what they'd seen. There was a period in the second half, I felt that it was a little bit nervy for us inside the ground, but it's always the case that when you're watching the action in real time, when you're in the thick of it, you feel a lot more nervous than you probably need to be. And actually, often when you go home and you watch back the highlights and you assess the game, you think, you know what, why was I so concerned? Why was I so worried? And I think last night was one of those games. I think there were a couple of moments. There was the header that Ramsdale saved in the first half. There was the second save that Ramsdale made in the second half. I think it might have been Eberiche Eze that had gone through and he went to um, sort of slot it in and, and Aaron Ramsdale was equal to it. But I mean, other than that, did Crystal Palace really do anything? Did Crystal Palace really hurt us? They didn't. They didn't at all. Um, we'll come on to talk about individual performances in a minute because I think that's really, really important. And I think we can all agree on who the man of the match was and we'll, we'll come on to him in a little bit more detail in a few minutes. Um, just quickly, though, before we continue, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. There's uh, quite a few of you watching us at the moment. Nowhere near enough likes. So please do hit the like button. That really, really does help. Also, subscribe to the channel if you're new as we continue to push towards another milestone. That's for our YouTube viewers. If you are listening on the audio platforms, i.e. if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever, please do leave us a review as well. That really, really does help. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the way the game went, uh, the game went. I've mentioned those two, um, those two moments where my heart was in my mouth. I've got to be honest. But as I say, outside of that, I didn't think Crystal Palace did an awful lot, and I think that's because we didn't let them. I thought we were physical. I thought we were um, imposing. I thought we were. I thought we were switched on mentally as well, which is obviously really, really important at this level thought everybody in an Arsenal shirt was willing to compete. I thought everybody in an Arsenal shirt gave their all. Um, there were players out there, and I know a lot of people have been talking about Martin Odegaard, and we'll, we'll come on to discuss, as I say, the individuals in a little bit. But there were players out there who, who didn't maybe have their best nights with the ball at their feet, who didn't influence the game in an attacking sense, maybe, in the way they would have liked or we'd have liked. But what you get in this Mikel Arteta side that you never got in previous years was a willingness to work, a willingness to do all of the ugly bits, do all the ugly sides of the game in order to make sure that you give your side the best possible chance of getting what they need out of it. And and that's something that Mikel Arteta has instilled because it certainly wasn't there before. And that's partly down to the manager, but it's also partly down to the character of the players that you've got in the side. And again, you circle that back, it comes back to the players that Mikel Arteta wants. And then you can understand why we've had to move so many people out. You can understand why there's been such a big player turnover. If you're not 100% committed to the cause, if you're not 100% up for putting your body on the line and making sure that you do everything within your power to help your team, then we don't want you at Arsenal these days because things have shifted, things have changed. And there's still a long way to go. And there's no guarantee even that we make the top four this season. But there's much more to be optimistic about. That The engagement between the fans and the players is so much better. It's stronger. The connection is stronger. 
Um, you can really feel that when you're at the games. I'm sure you can feel it from the TV as well, just by looking at how the players respond to the fans, how the fans respond to the players, etc., etc. But you can, when you're there, you can really feel it, and and that's what that's what we want ultimately. We'll come on to um, we'll come on to uh, discuss uh, the individuals in just a second. I've touched a little bit about uh, the performance, and look, I do think that in that performance there were difficult periods five, 10 minute periods where you're thinking shit backs against the wall here, um, all hands on deck to make sure that we don't end up uh, being overwhelmed and conceding a goal. Cause it's funny because I think football is one of the sports and it's the same for a lot of sports, but I think in football in particular, the pendulum can swing quite quickly. Momentum is a really, really important thing. You felt, for example, that if Crystal Palace, at the start of the second half when they forced Aaron Ramsdale into that save were to have equalised, could have been a really difficult remainder of the half for the Gunners because the atmosphere would have gone up a level, because the momentum uh, would have been with Crystal Palace, because maybe some of our players would have started to feel the pressure a little bit. But when you ride through those moments, that gives you an extra something. It gives you an extra boost and it puts you in a position from which you start to feel a little bit more confident and then you feel like you can push on. And I think that you know, look, the, the saves that Ramsdale made, you know, they were good saves, but I expect any goalkeeper worth his weight in cash, any goalkeeper at Premier League level to make them. I really do. Burn Leno would have made those saves. Aaron Ramsdale made those saves. Dean Henderson probably would have made those saves, <laughs> just to throw an example. But you got to make sure you do it. You know, in theory, they should make those saves. In theory, they're saves that you expect them to make. But, you know, it's you got to make sure that you're concentrated, make sure that you pull it off in those moments and that can give you a real something. It's almost like you need to toy with the fine margins, i.e. you kind of want those moments to galvanise your team a little bit, galvanise your goalkeeper. But obviously the risk of that is that you could potentially concede a goal. So football is, is a sport where there's so many fine margins. And as I say, momentum and the way the pendulum can swing back and forth can be key in the outcome of the game. And I really thought uh, that was prevalent again yesterday. Um, before I forget, actually, before I move on, a big shout out to um, those of you that I met yesterday at um, Selhurst Park. It was amazing to me. I, I think I met about eight or nine of you in total, which was amazing. Um, so thank you all so much for being so friendly, for coming over and saying hello. I always say this to you guys. I don't see your faces, but you see mine. So make sure you do come over and say hello if you see me. And um, and those guys did. So thank you all so, so much. And a uh, big shout out to Moss in particular. Um, obviously, he was with Trev as well. Big hello to Trev Creambone in the chat. Uh, but Moss uh, came all the way from Canada. Um, superb. Great to see you, man. And um, glad you got to experience uh, that rather than one of those uh, really difficult uh, afternoons or evenings that we've had over the last few seasons. So um, good to see you, man, and look forward to catching up a little bit more ahead of the Leicester game. OK, let's run through the team then. Mikel Arteta picked the team that we pretty much expected. It was Ramsdale in goal. It was a back four of White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. The midfield was made up of Partey and Xhaka with Odegaard uh, slightly in a more advanced position. Saka played from the right, Martinelli from the left, and Gabriel Jesus led the line. Let's talk about the individual starting from the goalkeeper. I, I've, I've mentioned the couple of saves that Aaron Ramsdale made. And listen, they were saves that 
I expect him to make, obviously, but they were good stops. You know, they were they were stops that, you know, as I say, helped galvanize the team, helped keep a clean sheet, obviously, um, and were key in us making sure that we got all three points. But I was a little bit worried. Um, I was a little bit worried by some of the things I saw from Aaron Ramsdale. Now, you might think I'm overly, I'm being overly critical here. Others say that at times I'm overly positive, so I can't win, so I'm just going to say it anyway. But there were two moments in the first half where the ball came back to Aaron Ramsdale. And I remember distinctly thinking after about 15 or 20 minutes, actually, Aaron Ramsdale has hardly touched the ball. And even when we're dominant in games, normally Aaron Ramsdale gets a few touches early, gets to put his foot on the ball, gets to, you know, ping passes left and right, gets to feed the centre-backs, sometimes directly into the midfield. And I remember, as I say, last night, distinctly thinking, um, 15, 20 minutes into the game, actually, Aaron Ramsdale hasn't had any touches. Not any, but hasn't had a lot of touches, hasn't really been involved. And and that was obviously largely because Arsenal were totally dominant, were pressing, were aggressive um, and were causing Crystal Palace all sorts of problems down the other end of the pitch. But there was just a couple of moments where Aaron Ramsdale in the first half did get the ball at his feet. And just, you know, you want him to be composed. You want him to be calm. You want him to be collected because we know that the manager wants him to start play from the back. You know that that is a feature of our game. You know that that's ultimately why he replaced Bern Leno. Because as a shot stopper, I don't think there's much in it. In fact, we probably saw, I know he's played more, but we probably saw more spectacular saves from Bern Leno in the Arsenal goal than we did from Aaron Ramsdale. The problem was that Bern Leno didn't have the other things. He wasn't particularly dominant coming out and grabbing crosses. He wasn't particularly good at playing the sweeper-keeper role. And he certainly wasn't good at distributing the ball. All right, maybe that's harsh. He certainly wasn't as good at distributing the ball out in the way that Aaron Ramsdale is asked to do. But, you know, that composure can really quickly descend into complacency. There's a really fine line between composure and complacency. And sometimes I feel like Aaron Ramsdale just dwells on it slightly too long. Sometimes I think he tries passes that, you know, and listen, sometimes he's going to have to take risks in his distribution. Again, I go back to what I said. That's ultimately what Mikel Arteta is asking for. But if it's more than a 30% risk, for example, do you do it away at Crystal Palace? Not for me. And there was one where he tried to play a pass into the midfield. He got it horribly wrong. It deflected off of the Palace man. Luckily, nobody was able to get it under control and we dealt with it. There was another situation where he got the ball back at his feet. He took a touch and he took way too long to deal with it. And he almost got closed down and almost cost us again. And I remember um, sort of, <laughs> I love him to bits, but I remember Lee Judge. Lee Judges was literally standing in front of me and he was going absolutely mad. Absolutely mad. He won't mind me saying this. Um, at Aaron Ramsdale for just taking that little bit too long. And, and you just think like you do all that hard work, right? You do all that preparation. You physically have to be in tip-top shape to play this way. And although the, the fitness levels dropped off a little bit in the second half for both sides, I would say, because it is the first game, players are still working their way back to their peak condition. You put a lot in physically. You've exerted yourselves a lot physically. The last thing you want is someone to be 
a little bit lackadaisical and ultimately cost you on that premise and on that basis. So that was frustrating to see. But fortunately, on the night, it didn't cost us. But it is a concern of mine. We started to see more and more of that towards the back end of last season. Okay, I think ultimately over the course of the season, he was very good and his distribution was very good. And at the beginning, yeah, some of his passes were risky, but we didn't really see too many of those moments where he was right on the border of making a mistake and, and, and a costly one. You make a mistake as a goalkeeper, it can often be, it is more often than not fatal in terms of what it leads to, a goal. And yeah, I just... I started to see a little bit more of that creep in at the back end of last season. And I'd be lying now if I said I wasn't slightly concerned by some of the things we saw from Aaron Ramsdale with the ball at his feet. But I'm not going to um I'm not going to kind of dig into the guy too much. You know, as I said, he made two important saves. Saves he should make, but he still made them. Um, he still did his job, but that is something to keep an eye on and maybe something that Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff need to address. Just rein him in just a touch because it will cost us. And I think, you know, he strikes me as a really confident lad who, even if he did make a mistake, would probably be able to get over it quite quickly and wouldn't let it affect his overall game. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, you see the, the the fruits of that sometimes as well. When he splits midfields, when he drops a ball over the top, which is of the standard of a centre-back ultimately and he can set off attack. So there's swings and roundabouts here. There's positives and negatives. But obviously as a fan, when you're watching that, your heart is in your mouth and I don't want to see that too often. Um, let's move on to the back line then. Ben White, let's start with the right back. Um, ben White did play at right back yesterday, but I just want to make this point because I talked a lot in pre-season about the formation, what it looks like with Ben White and Zinchenko in the side, the fact that they are... Um, happy to step up the pitch, but slightly more in field than maybe your traditional uh, fullbacks do. And the fact that at times with White or Tomiyasu on the right side of the defence, we can shift into a back three um, and push Zinchenko into the midfield. And that's quite often what you'll see of Arsenal in possession. And I've taken this um, this diagram here uh, from Sofa Score in which it shows uh, the average positions of um, of the Arsenal players last night. So you can see it here. Uh, it looks pretty much like a back three of Gabriel, Saliba and White. People might ask why that's a little bit lopsided. And my answer would be it's a little bit lopsided because I think that obviously Zinchenko is coming up and down, you know, on that left-hand side, which means he tucks in. And so Gabriel doesn't need to go as wide as, as maybe Ben White does. But I think as well, there was, particularly in the second half, concern about Wilfred Zaha on Crystal Palace's left-hand side and the threat that he posed. And there was always a concern about what if he beats Ben White? What if he skips past him? William Saliba has to be on hand to cover. And he covered that brilliantly. He made a couple of really strong, powerful challenges on Wilfred Zaha that were a joy to behold. But it just makes the point here that Arsenal look to overload the midfield here. Zinchenko steps in there. Xhaka, Partey, Odegaard is there too. And Martinelli and Saka's starting positions are not very wide. A lot of the time last night, they were tucked in and they were trying to get as close to Gabriel Jesus as possible. So ultimately, what you get is you get a, a system 
and a shape which allows you to dominate games. And with the centre-backs that we've now got with Ben White, with Zinchenko, we can push that bit further up the pitch and squeeze opponents into their own half. So just an important point to note there. But Ben White playing in that position, as I say, I thought had a really, really good game. A really good game. Um, you know, I think that people were were critical of him. I, I've read people being critical of him. I've read people saying, oh, you know, he was completely um, destroyed by Wilfred Zaha last night. No, he wasn't. What did Wilfred Zaha do? And also the other point to this is, like, at what point do we say when we're kind of, like, we're, we're, we're trying to make a judgment on that duel, right, between Ben White and Wilfred Zaha. At what point do we say Ben White did okay and did quite well, but Wilfred Zaha is good. Wilfred Zaha is a threat. I mean, how many fullbacks in the league play against Wilfred Zaha and don't have any problem at any point? And as Matt points out in the chat, it is strange that some are saying Ben White was terrible and others are saying he was great. I don't think he was terrible. I don't think he was amazing. I think he was solid. That would be my assessment of Ben White's performance uh, last night. And when you look at the stats, when you break it down and you go a little bit deeper, you'll see that Ben White made the most tackles with five in the game. And you'll see that Ben White won the most duels, 12. So statistically, Ben White had a pretty good game. Aesthetically, it maybe didn't look so great, but that's because he was playing against Wilfred Zaha, who isn't a threat to anyone. And going back to that formation point I was making about the back three or about it shifting into a back three and becoming a little bit more narrow and then, you know, the, the midfield being flooded, etc. The reason that Wilfred Zaha would get on the ball is because he would pull right out to the touchline as wide as he possibly could, knowing that that's the only place he could receive the ball. Now, A, he's right-footed, Wilfred Zaha, but plays on the left. So obviously that suits him. But B, if Ben White goes and sticks himself out there as well, A, there's the risk of getting too tight to him. But B, you are impacting on our game model. And Arsenal are not going to compromise their game model at every single moment in order to cater for one individual. You know, ultimately, you would think that the game model would give you more benefit, would give you more positives than negatives over the course of the game. And it turned out to be the case. Wilfred Zaha didn't do anything. He huffed and he puffed a couple of times and he got into the box and tried to make things happen. We had really, really good cover um, for Benoit in the shape of Saliba. And, um, and I thought we dealt with the threat posed by the Ivorian really well. So Ben White had a good game for me. I think that the noise around his performance, people saying it was bad, nonsense. People running agendas, people wanting to have a go. I don't think he was amazing. I, like, I wouldn't go as far as some people are saying where he had Wilfred Zaha in his pocket. I know people like to use that phrase in football, but it certainly wasn't a bad performance from Ben White. Um, moving into the rest of the defence, William Saliba, Given the man of the match by Jamie Carragher, rightly so, I thought he was, um, <laughs> I thought he was unreal. Like, honestly, I mean, you think about it going into the game, 21-year-old making his Premier League debut in the Arsenal defence, away at Crystal Palace, a difficult place to go, not just because of the quality that Crystal Palace have, but because of the atmosphere, because of the physical nature of their forward line, because of all of those things. 
And, you know, it was a, it was a test for William Saliba and he came through it with flying colours. He aced it. I thought everything he did looked confident, comfortable, assured. I thought he was strong. I thought he was powerful. I thought he was physical. I thought he was really quick across the ground. And, and he and Gabriel being at centre-back, as I mentioned earlier, allows us to push further up the pitching. At no point when Crystal Palace, from particularly Jochim Anderson, were dropping balls over the top of our defence, was I worried. He read it early enough. He read it quickly enough. And he was able to get across the ground sharp enough to make sure that he was in the right position to deal with those situations. And he did it all night. He also made some really important last-ditch tackles and his distribution of the ball. Not particularly adventurous, like he didn't try and split the midfield. He wasn't trying to break lines every time he got the ball. But he was very assured in possession. He didn't, I don't remember him anyway, uh, giving the ball away on maybe more than one occasion where he tried to chip a ball over on the right-hand side. The idea was right, the execution not quite. But yeah, I thought he was really, really good. And listen, you know, just enjoy the fact that we've got William Saliba back and that he looks a really, really good player. I think I've seen a lot online over the last sort of 12 hours, 24 hours. Oh, well, look, it just goes to prove that Mikel Arteta was wrong. Why didn't we have this guy two years ago? Which is all, I'm sorry, nonsense. William Saliba, two seasons ago, William Saliba a season ago, it was not the William Saliba of today. He always had potential. He always showed that he had what it was, what was necessary, I beg your pardon, to go on to that level. But we couldn't take that risk. We couldn't give a kid um, sort of time to to train and learn his trade in the Premier League when Arsenal were desperately trying to, um, you know, when Arsenal were desperately trying to claw back positions in the league and, and trying desperately to get into the Champions League. So I think it was spot on to let him go out on loan. And I think looking at him now, you've seen the rewards and the benefits of him going out on loan and playing for a big, big football club like Marseille, where there is pressure every single week. And it's why I'm quite happy with the fact that Nuno Tavares has gone there as well, because you're in a good enough side to impact. You're in a good enough side to um, play your game. You're in a good enough side to get on the ball plenty. You're in a good enough side to build up your confidence, but you're also at a huge football club where there is expectation and where there is pressure. And that mirrors the Arsenal environment much better than going out on loan to Nottingham Forest or Sheffield United or someone in the lower echelons of the Premier League. I don't know, Bournemouth, Fulham, whatever. The move that, that Tavares has made is much more beneficial. And we've already seen that with William Saliba. Clearly, Arsenal feel that Marseille is a good place. Um, for that type of thing. And and the relationship between the two clubs is clearly quite good as well. Anyway, let's um, let's move on to Gabriel. Also immense, powerful, physical, dominating. Really, really enjoyed his performance again. Um, listen, I... <laughs> the thing with Gabriel is I think that he is our best centre-back when he's at full tilt. I think at times over the past couple of seasons... Every now and again, maybe every seven or eight games, he's had a bit of a stinker. And you're always worried with Gabriel that that performance is is maybe just a little, just around the corner. Still a very effective centre-back, still very, you know, good at what he does. But you do worry about that at times with, with Gabriel. But I have to say over the last 12 months or so, those games have become more and more infrequent. And here's to hoping that they become even more infrequent 
over the course of this season. But he was solid last night. Really, really was. Um, Alexander Zinchenko, of course, making his Premier League debut for the Gunners. Uh, played in the role that we expected him to play. Playing uh, from the left-hand side. Um, you know, stepping into midfield when necessary. Tucking into the back line when necessary. Yeah, um, you know, I, I thought his performance overall was good. I thought in the second half, he struggled a little bit with Ayu on Crystal Palace's right-hand side. Listen, that that's a little bit worrying because Ayu is not a, a top winger, in my opinion. He is a good one, a decent one, who from time to time turns in good displays and good performances. But, you know, he isn't the benchmark, let's say. And I think that did kind of cause concern a little bit later on for um cause concern over his defensive capabilities and listen we'd heard that before it's nothing new uh you know i've heard many times that zinchenko as a defender is not not great but ultimately he's not a defender is he and i don't know what the long-term plan is with zinchenko at arsenal you know he said that he's been told that he might have to play at left back that he might have to play in center midfield etc etc He's a much better deputy than anything else we've had, put it that way. And he helps us to play the pressing game. He helps us to play the possession game. Um, and he brings a winning mentality to the side. So I'm not going to be overly critical of Zinchenko. And I would say that I think some of the reason towards the end of the game he struggled against IU was maybe because he'd run out of steam, he'd run out of gas. And I think that's why Mikel Arteta brought Kieran Tierney on. Now, Kieran Tierney hadn't featured in pre-season he hadn't played on the US tour he'd been out with an injury problem and so it was always very unlikely he was going to start but I think Mikel Arteta realized that Zinchenko you know was struggling with the pace of IU struggling with the intensity of the game at that point I say that but in the first half you know he, he didn't have any problems with him in the first half I thought he was really really comfortable so perhaps as I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud here Perhaps we should attribute more of those struggles to, to his, his fitness. Although, let's not pretend that he's a, a perfect defender. So, yeah. But overall, again, solid display. Listen, I, I don't think anyone was bad for Arsenal yesterday. I'm just trying to think about what I can say that's constructive, basically. Um, let's just uh, pause for a second and take this uh, very kind uh, super chat from Ibi, who says, what I'm really excited about is that left-hand side with both left-backs. As soon as Tierney came on, Palace couldn't go down that side anymore. I love them both offering something different. It's a really, really good point. They do offer something different. Kieran Tierney is going to overlap Gabriel Martinelli much more frequently than Alexander Zinchenko will, whose natural inclination is to step inside and join up with the midfield. So I think you're right. They do give us something different. I think backs to the wall. You'd prefer to have Kieran Tierney in your defence. He is a defender. He is someone who puts his body on the line all the time. When he's fit, that is. Um, and, and yeah, they do offer something different. But maybe going forward, because I thought we really dominated Palace because we kept flooding that midfield area. And we and, it, and Martinelli was able to be the one that went that little bit wider. But then that leaves the half space for Xhaka, for Zinchenko, etc., etc. So it's nice, as you say, to have both of those variations available to us for sure, 100%. Okay, 
Um, let's move on to the midfield. Thomas Partey. Oh, what a performance. I thought he was sublime. I thought he was everywhere. I thought he was dominant. Am I right in saying that back in Spain, um, they used to call him the octopus? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, that's right. I've just Googled it. And and he was exactly like an octopus last night. He sat in the middle of the park. Any ball that was anywhere near him, any ball um, that was in his reach, he'd stick out one of those long legs and he'd bring it back in. He was strong. He was powerful. Um, he was really good in, in possession as well, I thought, yesterday. There were some times where he received the ball in real difficult areas where he had a lot of players around him. And you got to remember when we talk about this formation, it can quite often leave Thomas Partey alone. It can quite often leave Thomas Partey with maybe a bigger area than he'd like to cover. I know that I talked about the centre-backs, their role, the way they squeeze up. The fact that Zinchenko and White can step into midfield has been something that helps Thomas Partey. But that doesn't mean there aren't occasions where he's left with quite a big area to cover. And I thought he patrolled that area superbly, but also when he had to receive the ball in pressured situations from the defence, he always was aware of what was going on around him. He'd received the ball, he'd hold off challenges. There was a couple of times in the first half in particular, he brought the ball down on his chest beautifully and just got us going. Really, really solid performance from Thomas Partey. So important to this team. Um, and as I keep saying to you guys, if I could go out and make one more signing, um, you know, it would be in that midfield position just to protect us against Thomas Partey being absent because I do think that injuries have been an issue for him and, and it's something that we have to at least consider moving forward. Granite Xhaka, I thought, also had a very, very good game. A very good game. I haven't seen it back on TV. Did get booked for diving in the first half and I'm interested to know what you guys think in the comments. Was it a dive? It looked like one to me. It wasn't one of those where he just threw himself to the ground, sort of trying his luck. It, it felt to me like one of those classic cases where you knock the ball past someone. You're waiting for them. You're almost anticipating, expecting them to make a challenge. And then that challenge doesn't come. But you're already on your way down and there's no way of stopping it. And off you go. And I think the referee, Anthony Taylor, who, by the way, was absolute shit last night. I'm sorry. Um, reached for the card. I don't think Xhaka can have too many complaints. But the, the frustrating thing for me was that, you know, there were so many opportunities for Anthony Taylor to get his card out, particularly with Palace players. I thought they were pulling our shirts at every opportunity in the first half. Every time we tried to spin away on the break, they couldn't handle us. They'd pull you back. They'd make challenges. IU made about three or four challenges in the first half that were probably all worthy of yellow cards. I thought the referee was was rubbish. I, I really did. I thought he was poor. Um, and I spoke to some Crystal Palace fans yesterday on the train uh, coming back. And it was interesting because they thought he was bad as well, um, which kind of gave me more confidence in, in, in my statement with regards to Anthony Taylor's performance. Look, you know, thankfully it wasn't the, the dictating factor in the game in the end, but I don't think he was very good. I'm not criticising him for the the Xhaka decision because I think it was the right decision, but I just think he let a lot of things go and was inconsistent in his application um, of 
of the the kind of level of challenges that he was allowing to pass. So yeah, uh, I thought he was shit. But going back to Granit Xhaka, um, you know, again, really good, really good, really solid. Gave the ball away, I can think, once in the first half, which you thought might have put us in danger. But, you know, Palace managed to get the ball into the penalty area. But in the end, it was Granit Xhaka that prevented them getting a shot off and he, he kind of redeemed himself there. Um, but yeah, look, listen, I was talking to people during the match yesterday and, and the general consensus among a lot of people was, you know, when Tierney's back fit, stick Zinchenko in that midfield instead of Xhaka. I certainly think that's an option. But I look at teams like Crystal Palace away from home. The physicality they have, the power they have in the middle of the park. And I honestly think that without Granite Xhaka, physically, in terms of his stature, in terms of his presence, in terms of his just pure size, I think he's important in that type of game. And I think if you take that out of the team, Maybe you get a bit more sharpness. Maybe you get a little bit more zip in your game. Maybe a bit more pace in your game. But do you still have the steel? Now, I know Granite Xhaka can sometimes be silly and get himself into trouble and pick up needless bookings, as he did yesterday. But I still think he gives us a steal in midfield because of his sheer size and presence that we will miss if he's not in the team. Maybe in a home game where you've got all of the ball and there's um you know there's a there's a different kind of remit it's something you can try but he deserves an awful lot of credit for his performance last night and i've been beating this drum for the best part of 18 months now he deserves an awful lot of credit for the consistency with which he's performed and and the fact that he is pretty much um <laughs> the first name on the team sheet as far as Mikel Arteta is concerned says it all doesn't it Moving into a slightly more advanced position, Martin Odegaard, another player who has been criticised by quite a few. Listen, the, the thing I'll say about Martin Odegaard is even when it's not his day, even when the passes don't come off, even when he's not able to thread the ball through the eye of a needle, even when he's not able to get shots off, even when he's not able to influence the game in that way, he sets the tone in terms of energy, in terms of commitment, in terms of work rate. Tactically, he's very, very clever. And you can see why he's been given the captaincy, because at no point does his commitment, does his pressing, does his uh, drive ever wane. He is at 100% all of the time. He did frustrate me a little bit last night, because I thought in the first half, there were a couple of occasions where he got the ball on the edge of the box and he could have had a shot at goal. And instead, he decided that he'd prefer to try and find the perfect pass. And that was a little bit like, come on, Martin, just just unleash one. In the second half, the bit that really frustrated me, well, there was a couple where he tried to kind of lay the ball off and he probably should have taken it on himself. But the one where Gabriel Jesus broke free down the right-hand side and cut it back to him and he took a touch. And the touch for Odegaard wasn't great because I think what it did was steer it onto his right foot and that maybe led to him feeling that he couldn't get the shot off. I don't know what it was, but he's got to trust in his ability. He's technically a superb player. He's got to take that touch, recognise that the ball is headed towards his right foot and just unleash one. He was inside the box. Anything could have happened. It could have gone anywhere. And um, and unfortunately, he, he just hesitated and tried to pick a, another pass out, which just let 
the um the move break down. But again, you know, and, and people compare him to Ozil. I've seen a lot of that. You can compare them in the way that they like to play or they want to play the game. But at the end of the day, as I've already highlighted, even when he's not at full flow, he gives you all of those other things. Work rate, commitment, effort, leads by example. And that is so, so important and such an underrated commodity. I think when Smith Rowe returns, when Fabio Vieira returns, you've then got two options in terms of creative midfielders or players that can play in that hole that Odegaard likes to occupy, that you would say, okay, well, he's not having a great day today. We can we can make that change. We can make that substitution. So when the squad is is back to something more like full fitness, um, you know, you'd, you'd have that option to, to change it up a little bit. But I don't think he's worthy or deserving of all of the stick that he's getting from some of our fans. I just, just don't get it. It wasn't his greatest night. It was a bad night at the office, but still gave 100% commitment, still worked very, very hard and still played a big role, in my opinion, in, um, in setting the tone, particularly in the first half and, um, and contributed to our dominance. Moving on, uh, Martinelli um, obviously scored the first goal, a goal that was so, so important in the context of the game, a goal that for a long time looked as though it was going to be the winner. The set piece was worked in towards the far post. Inchenko headed it back across the box. Listen, Arsenal are getting loads of praise for the set piece. Um, you know, the set piece coach was praised by Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher in their post-match analysis. And yeah, I get all of that. But that was shit defending, man, from Crystal Palace. The ball's gone to the far post. Inchenko comes in out of nowhere, completely unopposed, and is able to head the ball back across the goal. And when it goes back across the goal, Gabriel Martinelli doesn't have to jump, doesn't have to jostle, doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is nod it into the goal really easily. Good good from Martinelli. Great to see him in those types of positions and, and capitalising on the opportunity when it came its way. I love Gabby Martinelli, and I think this season, as I've said, is going to be a really big one for him. So great to see him, you know, get on the score sheet and open the scoring and get his season off to a great start. I don't know that the the set piece routine deserves as much praise as it's getting. It was good, obviously, but I think if I was a Palace fan, I'd be really disappointed about that goal. And and actually, when you um, actually when you when you look into it, which I did on my way home last night, Crystal Palace have got a dreadful record from set pieces in terms of goals that they concede. So it's clearly a weakness for them. Clearly something that Arsenal. Um, identified and, and thankfully we were able to capitalize on. And again, you know, we talked about on the show the other day, we talked about or we referenced the the Mikel Arteta speakers on the training ground thing. And we talked about that, although that uh, that's come to look a little bit silly, actually what it does is highlight that there is a much deeper level of preparation now ahead of games. And this falls into that same category, the set piece routine, understanding Palace's weaknesses from the set piece. And then being able to gain an advantage because we've done that homework is is something that was missing from Arsenal, particularly under Arsene Wenger. Under Unai Emery, you don't really know because I don't think many people knew what it was at times he was trying to get across, not just because of the language, but because of mixed messages in the way he picked the team, in the way that we play from week to week. So, yeah, I think that those little details in football, as I've said the other day, the smallest details can prove to be the biggest difference makers. And, and that's proof in the pudding again. 
On the other side, Saka, I didn't think Saka had a great game last night. I thought at times he hesitated. I thought at times he could have been a little bit more decisive in the final third. I really enjoyed the own goal, the second goal, A, because it signified to me that we'd won the game and it really put put it to bed. It really killed off any sort of hope um, that, that maybe Palace held of getting back into the game. But because at that point, you know, he gets the ball and he varied it up. He changed it up. You know, every other time Bukayo Saka was looking to come inside on that left foot every single time. And on that occasion, he decided to go on the outside and he recognised that there wasn't a clear target in the middle. So what did he do? He put the ball powerfully into a dangerous position. And you do that, there's always a chance. There's always a chance that something can, can deflect your way. And fortunately for us, it did. It came off of Mark Gay and into the back of the net. It went to seal the deal and seal the victory for Arsenal. So uh, it was good to see him add a little bit of variety to his game there. And, and he reaped the rewards from that. But also, I know I've been a little bit critical of the way he was a bit predictable, maybe in the final third at times yesterday. I think defensively, he gave us a lot as well. He worked back on a, a number of occasions, particularly in the first half, a lot more in the first half, I would say, and helped out on that side. So, yeah. Um, and, and also, although he didn't always go and confront him and although he wasn't often, maybe not at all, the one to go and make a challenge on Wilfred Zaha, he did plug holes, allowing Ben White to be able to go and do that, to go and confront him. And between him and William Saliba, I thought at times we we protected those spaces left by Ben White when he did have to go face-to-face with Zaha. And and so, yeah, it, it's nice to see that the system works, that there's a bit more cohesion in everything that we're doing. And he, he certainly played his part. Gabriel Jesus, in the first 20 minutes, I thought we'd sign the best striker in the world. <laughs> He was electric. He was quick. He was mobile. He was um, a nuisance for those centre-halves, despite being half their size. Like, And, and that's what you want, right? He, that's what you want. He, he produced that amazing run where the ball then deflected into the path of Gabby Martinelli, who really should have opened the scoring then, um, if we're being brutally honest. But yeah, I thought all game he worked hard. All game he was a nuisance. He there was a couple of times where he made some really clever runs and he never got the pass. And I think that frustrated him a little bit, but ultimately that's about the, the understanding developing between he and the midfield. And I think that will come over time, but I just thought, yeah. Um, I, I just thought that he just gave us something so different, you know, and, and I've talked about that time he broke away on the right-hand side. That's because he was up people's backsides, hassling them, harrying them at every opportunity and you'll get your reward if you do that and you put the shift in. It was a good substitution, actually, to bring on Eddie Nketiah when we did because he just injected just a little bit more energy when maybe Gabriel Jesus was running out of steam. But again, it's the first game of the season. People aren't at their peak physical conditions yet. And it's something we're going to have to work up to um, in the next uh, in the next few weeks. OK, um, that's the 11. That's the... Um, that's the kind of assessment of the individual performances. We touched on the goals there as well. I realised I didn't do that earlier on, but I don't think any of them were like massively worth over-analyzing, if I'm being honest. Um, areas to improve. Constructive criticism. We like a bit of that. I think that I think that we had to I think that we have to maybe stop trying to overplay in the final third at times. Martin Odegaard's a big culprit of that. 
but I think others were too at times, more so him, but I think others were culpable of that. So I think we have to stop overplaying in certain areas. Um, I think fitness levels need to be higher. Uh, again, it's the first game of the season. I expected there to be a drop-off, but I thought that, you know, it. what it does is it, it kind of handicaps us because we... We play in a certain way that demands us to be in tip-top shape. And then if you don't get your or gain your advantage during that period and then you run out of steam, you're going to struggle. And I understand football is a, a game in which the game state can change quite dramatically. So, like, for example, in the second, in the first half yesterday, Palace were quite happy to be compact and sit off a little bit because they knew that we were bringing a lot of threat to the table. In the sec, But once you get that goal... In the second half, they had to come out. They had to try and stretch the game. And that ultimately allowed us to have the space to go and score our second, where it was a really smart breakaway. Um, so, yeah, I think that that would be my big takeaway from the game. Like Defensively, we were very good. Aaron Ramsdale was good, but probably needs to just be reined in a little bit in terms of what he does with the ball at his feet. And I think we need to stop overplaying in the final third where possible. Those would be my takeaways. Um, but yeah. Uh, what else did I want to say? Um, at least we can relax now. We can enjoy the weekend. <laughs> we can sit back and watch the remainder of the football, knowing that we've already got our points on the board and we can shift the focus come Monday onto next weekend's game against Leicester City. Um, Let's do a few questions. Pop a few questions in the chat. We've got around about seven minutes left. Pop them in and I'll get to as many of them as I possibly can. Uh, just a quick reminder, though, if you haven't done so already, I've talked about this in the last few weeks. Our Serie A podcast, Simply Serie A, returns on Monday with our season preview show. It is going to be really good. It is going to be really, really fun. The link is in the description below. It isn't on YouTube. It is just an audio podcast, but the link to subscribe is below. Uh, if you could subscribe, I'd be so, so grateful. I really, really appreciate all the support. I'm, I'm so grateful for the support that you guys give me here on this channel, but got a new podcast. Well, it's not a new podcast. It, it started before and dwindled out just because of a lack of time. But now, you know, thanks to 90 Min and their support, have the ability to really focus on this and, and take it to a new level. So, um, yeah, Simply Seria is back early next week. So please do subscribe. Okay, let's get some of those questions. Um, Ross Morgan says, uh, do you see us signing a player before the next game? Uh, I don't know that it will be before the next game. I, I see Arsenal signing one more player between now and the end of the window, but the fact that they haven't done it yet probably suggests that it's going to be the type of deal that goes down to the wire. I think it's clear from what Mikel Arteta says and, and does that and acts and, and sort of addresses this particular question, that there is something that Arsenal still want to do. question is whether it's achievable or not, whether they can do it. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think it'll be before the next game, but I do think we'll get another one in before um, the end of the transfer window. Uh, Avon Ted says, uh, do you think Xhaka fits what we're trying to do now? I don't think he doesn't fit. Um, I thought he was good again last night. I thought, I thought he's actually, I think he's actually looked quite good since we've moved to this, like 
one man defensive midfield with the other two kind of up and down a bit more box to box. I think he's done a good job of it. So I don't think he, I wouldn't say he doesn't fit. Um, are there better fits out there? Probably, but we don't have them at our football club. So we've got to work with what we got. And you've got to prioritise when you go into the transfer window with regards to what you feel is the biggest need. I don't think that replacing Jacker is the biggest need for Arsenal in the transfer market right now, in my personal opinion. Uh, Matt G says, is Fulham getting Leno for £3 million the best transfer business of the summer? It's right up there, you have to say. It is right up there for sure. Uh, Big Mad Andy says, who's your favourite for Serie A this season? I was talking about this yesterday with someone and we'll talk about it on Simply Serie A in a lot of detail next week. But initial gut feel is Inter. Um, I'm, I'm finding it really difficult to get a read on Juve. Didn't go well for Allegri in his first season back last season. They scraped into the Champions League. I'm not sure. I think Inter is the one that's in the forefront of my mind right now with Milan just behind them. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Dylan says, uh, does Ben White keep his place at right back even when Tommy Asu returns to full fitness? I think if he continues to play well and we continue to be on a good run and we continue to be defending well and keeping clean sheets and limiting our opponents to very few clear-cut chances, then you don't change it. You know, you, you coming back from injury have to earn your place back in the side as far as I'm concerned. And that is a, a sign of the competition that we now have within the squad. And that is obviously a positive thing. Um, Wandering Minstrel says, Harry, will Yuri play against us if we're still after him? Interesting. Really, really interesting um, to see if, if and a few of you are asking this question about Tielemans. I think this week we're probably going to get a bit more of an understanding as to what the future holds for Yuri Tielemans. Um, you know, if, for example, he believes and thinks that a deal to Arsenal or a move to Arsenal is very much on the cards, will he want to play against Arsenal from fear of what that could do with regards to the deal? I think if you want the player, you should get him anyway, regardless of what he does. But, you know, I, I think that is a thing. I think there'll be... I think Yuri Tielemans, you know, who we know wants this move, is probably at the bit of uh, a bit of a panicky stage right now. You know, the, the window has a matter of weeks remaining in it. Um, you know, the move's not happened yet. Will he feel like playing against us could potentially kill any chances of that being done? Maybe. And so I'm really, really interested to see how this is going to unfold. But right now, I couldn't tell you because I really don't know. I feel like I'm... Um, I feel like I'm um, sitting on the fence with a lot of these questions. Um, but yeah, is what it is. Um, it's so early in the season. It's so early to um, to kind of make concrete judgments on players, on on what we need, uh, you know. And, and something like this with Yuri Tielemans, where we know so little, it makes it difficult, doesn't it, to, to get a read on the situation. Uh, Rancid says, what is your game of the weekend? If you're asking about the Premier League, I would say West Ham Man City. But for me, the game of the weekend is the one taking place at Loftus Road later on today. Queen's Park Rangers against Middlesbrough. And I say that because I'm covering it for BBC London. Uh, so if you are uh, in the UK, if you fancy tuning into BBC Radio London on FM and digital radio, uh, I think it's 94.9. Yeah. And on digital radio. Uh, tune in. There's live commentary of the Spurs game, but I'm on reporting duty at QPR, where we'll be hosting the show from there. So 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to say QPR versus Middlesbrough, but I'm sure you'll all disagree. <laughs> okay, look, I'm going to leave it there, guys, because we've been going for an hour and um, apologies that we didn't get to all the comments and all the questions. We'll do a lot more of that throughout the week where there isn't games uh, a game that I want to kind of react to. Um, so yeah, looking forward to bringing you some more shows over the course of the week. Hope you've all enjoyed it. Hope you all enjoyed the win last night. I'm sure you did. Listen, there's over 800 of you watching us right now across the multiple platforms. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 400 likes on the board by the time the outro plays. There's 238 there now. Uh, so we've got a bit of work to do, but please do smash the like button. I'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care and what a dream start. Come on, you gunners. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.